This is episode number 41 with Josh Lajani. The personal power to lose 220 pounds, change your life, and even win an ultra marathon. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories. You did what you said you was going to do. There's tons of those micro moments in this thing we call endurance sports. You're constantly winning these little fight-throughs. And when you build those up, it builds a momentum. And you build trust in yourself. And then you start to believe the things you say about yourself. Like, I think I can do X. Today, I had the tremendous opportunity to sit down and talk with Josh Lajani. I first heard him on the Ritual podcast about a year ago and was blown away by his story. I literally had to stop my bike while listening to the show because his story was so overwhelming and his authenticity and passion were contagious that I had to just stop and take it all in. His story is a powerful one of transformation and courage. It's about how taking one brush stroke after another can create a beautiful masterpiece and that you can't even see what's happening until after you've already taken the steps to get there. The Josh Lajani you see now is an enthusiastic ultra runner who has been on the cover of Runner's World, laughed with the hosts on Good Morning America, and now regularly speaks around the country. He is a beacon of positive change. He has helped so many people lose weight and become a better version of themselves. But Josh wasn't always the man that you see today, and he'll be the first to tell you that he never imagined his life would take such a fortuitous turn. He grew up as a self-proclaimed coon ass. More on that later. Josh grew up in the bayou, close to his family and grandfather, who he calls Bam Bam. As his weight escalated to 420 pounds, Josh tried everything to lose weight, but nothing stuck. One day, he and his brother went to the gym on another goal-setting journey of trying to lose weight, and he later decided to run a 10K while being well over 300 pounds. As he got more into running, he found confidence in himself and the courage to commit to change. He started to like the person he saw in the mirror. He said, you build trust in yourself. You did what you said you were going to do. A landslide of events happened that pulled Josh onto his path, including the Saints winning the Super Bowl in 2010 and reading the book Born to Run. In this show, we talk about the importance of taking action in your life and how taking action creates personal power. We talk about the relationship we have with food, the importance of family and role models, what self-acceptance actually looks like, how to build self-confidence and embracing setbacks in life. We also talk about how Josh's plant-powered journey helped elevate him to new heights that he never could have imagined in his life. I felt totally jazzed and just stoked after talking with Josh, and it just really made my day. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. I think it's going to put a smile on your face and an extra stride in your step. Today's episode is brought to you by our podcast sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for athletes and health conscious people like us. And speaking of the health benefits of eating a plant-based diet, Health IQ has exclusive savings for vegans because we are at a much lower risk of mortality from diabetes, cancer, and heart disease. They also have special rates for athletes. They'll look at things like your Strava, like your health app, and even race results to assess what you would qualify for. Check out healthiq.com slash Sonia or mention the promo code Sonia when you talk with an agent. 
I wanted to thank you guys for listening to my podcast and supporting me and supporting the show. It really makes a difference. And I'm really excited that you guys are helping my show grow by your support on Patreon, by the messages that you've been sending me and by sharing this with your friends. Something I've seen on other shows is people will take a screenshot of the show and share it on social media and tag the show, in which case you could tag me and the guests in the show. And that helps bring more awareness so that more people can follow it and make a bigger difference in the world. This whole podcasting journey has been really neat and just getting to spend time talking to these amazing guests has inspired me in my life in really profound ways and I hope that you found the same. So let's get into it with Josh Lajani and let's talk about how he lost 220 pounds and created the life of his dreams. Hey Josh, what's up? What's happening? So you're you're, you're the coon ass. Yes. What is a coon ass? <laughs> it's just a, like a, you know, something we use it locally. And it always just kind of has meant like a good old boy, you know, from the swamp kind of area. Something we say on the by it's not really like a, you know, it can be used in a derogatory sense, you know, but usually it just means he's like um, one of us, like a good old boy, like one of, one of us, you know. Just so, a good old coon ass. So yeah. if I see someone that's from New Orleans, if I call them a coon ass, they won't be offended? They probably won't know what a coon ass is very much in New Orleans itself. Oh. It's not necessarily a New Orleans thing. It's more of a bayou culture thing. More okay. of a swamp, a swamp people thing. The than, swamp people. <laughs> yes. Than a New Orleans thing. You know, it's a little bit different. Cool. So you're born and raised in the swamp. I'm born and raised in uh, Thibodeau, right on the bayou. We have Bayou Lafouche that runs right down the middle of Thibodeau, Louisiana. The whole parish that I, is Lafouche Parish, the bayou runs right down the middle from north to south, all the way the entire length of the parish. And I grew up actually a little off the bayou in a little town called, in a little community called Chagbay, which is more like, like in the swamp where back in the day, some old coon asses built levees and started pumping water out so they could live there and um that's kind of where we live now wow that's kind of what jack bay is it's like claimed swamp with levees and pumps it's hard to imagine (laughs) yeah like most people know about new orleans but they don't really know much about the bayou so like what's the culture of of living in the bayou oh man uh getting drunk and eating everything that moves like (laughs) when it starts to get cold hunting season you know we're killing just constantly going and hunting and it's like a competition on both ends like i can kill more than you or or catch more than you and i can cook it better than you and um that's a lot of what we do it's we really identify with our ability to go catch a bunch of shrimp or go catch a bunch of speckled trout or like however we can go and harvest from our environment it gives us pride in like how well we know where we're from you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like a scorekeeping. So it's a very visceral, like an integral part to who we are as as people here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like food and culture are so intertwined and people's identity. And yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. a very emotional subject for people. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there's a certain like uh, in all of our cultures, it almost all starts with like peasantry, you know, like coming from nothing and just surviving. 
And the irony that we've taken those things that we that our ancestors developed during those like really slim times, you know, I'm thinking about eating the entire pig, like what we would call a boucherie or something like that, or, you know, eating crawfish, you know, mm-hmm. that would have been a survival tool to make times through times of scarcity, to make do through times of scarcity. And the fact that we've taken those survival things and actually have flipped them on its head and those foods themselves are actually killing us in a big way is so ironic and sad to me. And the fact that it's like being touted as the reason we can't get healthy is because of our culture. It just seems so backwards and like such like a disservice to the culture, actually. Yeah. Um, not to get off on a tangent, but that's what it's like being from the Bayou and then coming up and I, I struggled with weight my whole life. With, that was the gold standard of being a coon ass was how you perform in the boat, how you go to the camp. Are you decent at shooting doves or ducks and whatever? which I wasn't really all that great at, but, you know, we made do. And when you get them and collect them, how efficient are you at cleaning them? Were you wasting meat? Are you being a dumbass about it? You know what I mean? Yeah. All of those elements. You know, it's not a very vegan thing to talk about a lot of times, but it is a very understand how, because I grew up in that way, I understand how that connection to your environment can be so visceral, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yep. And that was a big part of my life. And then not only, but having patriarchs to uphold that sort of paradigm and, you know, exemplify those types of, you know, personas themselves, it makes you want to, oh, I'm going to be like them, you know? Mm-hmm. But your, yeah, your grandfather was like a huge influence in your life, right? Still is every single day. Yes. You know, exactly. Yeah. My grandfather, my Bam Bam taught me a lot about passion he was very passionate. Sometimes it came out as like F-bombs and pissed off. And you might think he's about to slap you in the neck or something. <laughs> but he did things wide open. You know, it made, and, and I watched that my whole life. And so as ironic as it is, I feel like I'm doing a more solid Bam Bam impersonation by being pragmatic and not caring about what everyone else thinks about what it is that I'm doing. Being goals-oriented, progress-oriented, and making something shake, like you would say, that's more like being him than necessarily the bottle of whiskey and the gumbo pot and the fried, you know, fish and all of this stuff. Even though those things are very, they have a very tight connection to those memories and that nostalgia. I don't want to hate those things, but I'm just too, I we, those foods, but I just don't, I understand what they did. I understand the role they played in the tragedy that I experienced in my family with my grandmother and and several other people in my family. After having learned what we learn when we go plant-based, like once you go down that rabbit hole, you're like, oh my God, yes. Yeah, so let's back this up though. So, you know, you're talking about your family and people, how people eat in the bayou. And so that lends to being overweight, right? I want our audience to hear the story of you and, and how you grew up and, sure. you know, your, your journey as to how you became plant-based and your entire life changed. Yeah, just I grew up doing the normal thing. I was a high school athlete. I identified as that. I had big cousins that were really big football players and, and they had football scholarships. And I wanted to do the same thing, you know, so that was I really wanted that as an adolescent. Mm-hmm. It felt like something that would make Bam Bam proud because Bam Bam had played football. 
and my dad proud who never really got a chance to play football but really loved the game mm-hmm. so football was a big part of me growing up so that in itself to being hefty as well being hefty on the field was a good thing and it kept me like a starter most of the time a lot of it had to do with my weight and mm-hmm. my strength and size other than that but still a lot of it had to do with my weight so I identified as a big guy and as it was an asset to what I was doing with football not only that but my band band was six two probably three sixty to three eighty my whole life mm-hmm. so that was like the picture of what the man looks like mm-hmm. the the top dog that's my band band there's nobody he's in charge of everybody I thought you know mm-hmm. and so those images and having been an ex-football player himself and then uh, I just started to really fall into that identity and really pick up all of his habits and do them even better than him. You know, I could drink like him and we just did the thing, right? And that lifestyle and doing it in an unfettered way, really, that was my Bam Bam style. It was caution to the wind. We, it's time to go to the campus. Yeah, how many cases you think we need to? Let's get four. <laughs> so I find myself up to about, 420 pounds by the time I'm like 32 or so. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, things were changing for me physically at that time where it was starting to be a problem with the doctor. I had been to the doctor three times in a row where I had high blood pressure and he was wanting to talk to me about maybe considering blood pressure medication. And my answer to that was to just stop seeing him so much. I figured that would solve that problem. Just Mm -hmm. stop going so often. And uh, so I did. And then I just got heavier and heavier and heavier until it got to a point to where I was going to be really embarrassed to get. I was doing like these presentations for I was going back to school as a non-traditional student. And I was worried about these presentations I was going to have to do and tucking in my shirt, putting on a tie and all that stuff. And so my buddy called me one day out the blue and asked me to join the gym with him. And we just started it just started clicking. I just started moving the needle again because I had lost weight over and over and over before in my life. We were just going to, we were going into it yet one more time. We were going to wade off into this weight loss thing one more time. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting because most people haven't actually had the experience of being 420 pounds. And I think from an emotional standpoint, like I'd really like to hear what that's like because it's hard to be empathetic towards larger individuals that you see or like on an airplane, like people tend to not treat overweight people in a kind manner. Like, you know, people will make fun or they'll just judge. So like, I want our audience to hear firsthand, like what that's like to be that way, because it's important for us as a culture to really understand emotionally where people who are obese are having problems with weight loss are coming from. All those things you want to say to that person that sits next to you on the airplane they save themselves nonstop every day, every waking second of their life. And it's terrible. Like, and the thing is, it's very obvious that you can fix it. And they have it. And they know that. And yet at the same time, you present as a very bright individual, a smart person who's happy and you, you're satisfied with this is okay. This is how my family is. This is I'm an ex-ball player. I can't move too much anymore. I got an injured back. So I'm destined for fatness. And, you know, 
it's sad. It's sad because you don't want people to know it's sad. So you put on a laughy face for it. And like, we're good at being funny about being fat instead of letting people know how really like bummed we are about it. Mm -hmm. We do that really well. Like fat people are hilarious. Mm -hmm. And it's not like laughing at them. Like they're making you laugh with them. Like they're, they're, you know, there's some pretty, I'd say, yeah, there's some really funny fat people, you know, and we're good at making that a joke instead of really looking at it in the eyeball for what it really is, how we really do when nobody's around. So those are some scary places to go to get it started to turn around a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to know that like when you see somebody that's really obese, they don't want to be that way. And people think, oh, well, they just gave up and they're not even trying and they're just like doing whatever. But every story that I've heard is they are trying. It's just they can't get out of it. And a lot of it is they're so mixed up on the food. They're so mixed up on the food. We can, you and I know, we can get such clarity on the food for people who are struggling. You can, you have to get used to the new food, but at the same time, it can be so really so simple. And if we can get that element out the way, we can really go to work on what really made us fat in the first place. A, common, a combination of inner turmoil that we never really seem to reconcile and a lack of freaking physical movement and sweating. Mm-hmm. Those two things. So yeah, so speaking of physical movement, you got into the gym with your buddy and you started yeah. again on the path. Yeah, I did. One more time. One more time. <laughs> and uh, we just went back to doing the same old thing, just lifting weights. That was all right for a little while, you know, I'm eating, drinking tons of whey protein before and after every workout, you know, because you got to try to hold on to my mask. That's right. Got to build, got to build muscle and get jacked. <laughs> got to build muscle so I can burn, turn my body into a fat burning machine, you know? <laughs> and so that's what I was doing, you know, and then, but I started to notice like when I would, I would go hit the elliptical, I started doing these circuits, right? And instead of just, I was like, I needed to mix it up because the weight loss was going super slow. And, uh, and so I wanted to mix it up. So I started doing these circuits on this app that I found. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was that go for 50 seconds on the elliptical in between these circuits, but as hard as you can possibly go. Oh. And so when I realized how much I had been leaving on the table, cardiovascularly speaking, in my workouts something kind of clicked with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started doing more of like 50 minute sessions on the elliptical and then get on the treadmill for 10 minutes and started just toying around with it. And then I was like, okay, I like this long workout at a moderate sort of effort level, but go all day kind of a vibe. I was kind of digging that. Mm -hmm. Then I started moving out. We moved outside and started doing more stuff outside, but I'm still losing weight pretty slowly in that very first year or so. Yeah. Did you feel that once you found that, that click where you're on the elliptical and you realize I actually really like this, this makes me feel good. Did it give you a confident feeling that that made you feel good? Yeah, no, I didn't really like it. It sucked. I didn't like it, but what I liked was having gotten through it. Mm -hmm. That's what I liked about it. Like this eats (laughs) this sucks this is terrible (laughs) 
and I'm only three quarters done. And you got to find whatever you got to find to get that last 0.25 done and be able to be proud of it, you know? And so getting through it, even though it sucked really, really bad and you felt like a loser while you were doing it, you felt like a failure while you were wrapping up this lackluster performance in your mind, you know, you still get through it and accomplish something that matters. And you look back at it and you're like, wow, I want a significant fight through. I really felt impossible looking me in the face, but, you know, it was just a mirage. And um, you just learn a lot about yourself by continuously going to that place of, you know, right on the edge of your physical capacity. I know that sounds scary for a lot of people, but the edge of your physical capacity might just be like literally walking around your block right now. We can all relate on edge of physical capacity. You don't have to be running 50 milers as hard as you can <laughs> to be in the realm of emptying your physical capacity. So it's just about identifying where that is for you right now and growing it, growing it forward and continuing to get to that place where it kind of sucks a little bit. You know? Yeah, because I think that that is what makes you realize that you're capable of more than you thought. and yeah, More than you ever thought. <laughs> if it wouldn't have been for running, I guarantee you, I would have been right back to 400 pounds again. There's not a question in my mind because then it would have not brought me to the ultra marathon. And that wouldn't have brought, like it was pulled like just just steady growth thing that has been not constructed. It has just sort of happened. And it's right. addicting too. Like once you start pushing that limit, you just want more because that feeling of getting what else through can it. I do? Yeah. What else is possible? What else am I thinking I can't do that I really can smash? You know? So it's fun. Yeah. And that's I, a fun orientation to have. I think that's what gives us the courage to make a change too, is like you start getting those feelings of, okay, I'm making a change. Now I'm starting to yeah. feel good about this. I'm starting to feel better about who I am. I feel better when I look in the mirror. And then it yep. helps you get the ball rolling so that you can continue you know, making those positive changes. Right. You build trust with yourself, you know, yeah. in the race when it sucks real bad. And you're like, oh, shit, I'm not going to walk until I get to that stop sign. And you don't walk until you get to the stop sign. You did what you said you was going to do. Right. And it, there's tons of those micro moments in this thing we call endurance sports. You know, and you're constantly winning these little fight throughs. That when you build those up, it's like it builds a momentum, you know, and you build trust in yourself. And then you start to believe the things you say about yourself. Like, I think I can do X. And you kind of believe what you bring into the table. You're like, yeah, well, you had let me down in a while. Maybe we can. And that feels fun. That's neat. That's a different thing to have going on in your head than what was going on when I was, you know, a lot bigger. Yeah. So you started going outside, you started feeling the pull. Like a lot of times I think about sometimes you have to start pushing to make something happen and then you start feeling it pull you in that direction. So you started yeah. feeling the pull. So then what happened next? What happened? The pull actually was accidental, I think, because a couple of cool things happened. One, the Saints won the Super Bowl in 2010. So that was right before I started this whole thing. And so in 2012, we had a Super Bowl behind us, but it had like a whole bunch of drama and controversy around it. And I felt and I knew that Coach Sean Payton was going to be he was doing like a suspension or something at the time. So I was just I was driven to go and be a part of New Orleans 
and go and run in the city. I had run like four miles, but I had I, I hadn't done a 10K. I was scared to death, but I wanted to do this New Orleans race because I wanted to identify as a New Orleanian, as a Saints fan, all of it wrapped into one, you know, and say, hey, I can go to the city and do something besides eat po' boys and get drunk. I can go to the city and run a race. That sounds fun, right? And those things kind of mixed together in 2012, and I ran my first Crescent City Classic so in like an hour and 43 minutes, right? I was still probably 325, 330 at the time, but I got it done. And, and that takes really grit. Pumped. Like to, to be able to do that at that weight, like you have to be determined as hell to get to that finish line. I say all the time to people that that was my very first ultra marathon because it was like an ultra marathon. If I think back on that race, I went through all of the stages that I went through in every single, all the way up to my hundred mile race. Went through all of those. It's just proportionate. You know, it was just different. You know, it took me longer to get to each phase, but it was the same phases of feeling okay. Oh, it's starting to feel like work. Holy shit, I don't think I can finish. Oh God, I made it. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the same thing. And but it, it felt good to have gotten through that. It felt really good, and I had a medal. I felt like that trinket was the, was small potatoes in the abstract. But when I finally got it, I was like, "This is okay. I like this. This is I like this. This means something." And then uh, it just sort of took off from there. Where I want to do a better 10k the next year. Coach Sean Payton actually ran that next race the next year. And he was like four minutes faster than me. So it like, it pushed me a little even, uh, that was awesome. And it's just been like this progress orientation more so than like the net, more so than like the gross result. Like it's more of being oriented towards progressing, whether it's in distance or if I'm trying to do form or I'm trying to, how I run at pace, how I run, like all of these different things I'm trying to change. And I get hurt along the way. I'm doing things differently than, a lot of people haven't really done have from 420 pounds to trying to run really fast. Not a lot of people to look off of to go, oh, yeah, well, he had to do it this way. Yeah. There's not a lot of those guys out there that are trying to run like sub 310 marathons or something. So understanding that I'm going to probably take bumps and bruises along the way, which I just did. But it, I ran 18 this morning. I'm excited. I'm feeling good. Wow. The mileage has been coming back up. So. We're back on track. So far, so good. Yeah. So, like, where is your diet in this whole process? Like, and and how did you keep progressing to where you're at now? Well, the diet, that's crazy because the diet came about once I started to have aspirations of speed and certain times. Like, can I get sub 50 in the 10K? Mm -hmm. And and I knew I still had some fat on me. I knew it still was really jiggly and I knew I was heavy. I knew I was getting tired. And so we just changed up a few things. Like after Mardi Gras of 2013, we just started clean. We just cut out all the processed foods. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, grass-fed stuff and free-range stuff and all of the vegetables. Still had dairy. You know, we were doing that. But just that change alone, I noticed a big difference. And that was right before the Crescent City Classic in 2013, where I wanted to run under an hour. I was like, wow, food made a really big difference in how I was able to make it through this race. 
I hadn't really prepared well for that race, but I felt like the food really helped me get through because it was 40 days. We did it for Lent between Mardi Gras and Easter Sunday, which is the Saturday before Easter Sunday is the Crescent City Classic every year. So we had stayed on that really strict for those 40 days, and I felt it really helped me. And at the same time, I was reading this book, Born to Run, and learning about Scott Jurek in that book almost seemed like I didn't want to admit it to myself, but it seemed like a next step in a progression. Like, oh, not only can this guy do ultra marathons and be a plant-based guy, but maybe he's able to do ultra marathons because he is a plant-based guy because of the other things I was learning at the same time with the cardiovascular system and all of the other things that really are benefited by eating a largely plant-based diet. And so all of those, those things started to kind of click together. And I was, I went pretty much all in early, probably April 1st or so, 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. And was that the first time that you had actually linked food to performance? Because a lot of times people think of food as this delicious thing that they get to eat or a part of their culture, like we talked about earlier. Was this the right. first time where you actually linked like, oh, what I'm eating is actually affecting my energy and how I actually perform? Or was that something that you had thought about before? It was something I had thought about before, but only in the sense that how I ate mattered as to how much weight I would lose and that just having the sheer weight off of my body would help boost my fitness and my athleticism. I never really thought about it in terms of the, you know, nitric oxide production and the, the, you know, the recovery aspect of it and the dilation of the vessels all of the other things that come along with all the leafy greens that we eat and all of the nutrient dense foods that we eat. I'd never thought about it on that level before. I thought about it as just another way to lose weight for me to be able to be lighter so I could run harder and faster. But it wasn't long before that was made abundantly clear that, Oh wait, hold on. And it was like an epiphany. I mean, cause I'm just like, I'm still just a fledgling marathon. Like I'm not, anything i'm just a regular person running races yeah it's just um i don't know i've always sort of gravitated towards trying to do have like another step to take that's just been sort of how i've done this i think it stems from me being in school at the time and i was doing a lot of case studies and i was being taught to be pragmatic and solution oriented and sort of objective I learned that in school a lot. And I think I applied a lot of those lessons to how I was approaching how my self-education about nutrition, athleticism, running, all of these things. And of course, I made some mistakes along the way. I think those mistakes were critical. I think they needed to be made. What were those Um, mistakes? Sometimes in the beginning, like not really identifying a plant-based diet that was very early on because I was very low carb meat heavy and I lost weight doing it you know I, mm-hmm. in the beginning it, I lost weight doing it and I was all paleo and but without that mistake I wouldn't have been it was almost like change practice from my old norm by the time so I had done that but it was definitely not the right thing to do however it was a mistake that wound up getting me result that was tangible to me because I can feel it inside my own body. It wasn't abstract. I knew that I was needing to take Metamucil. 
and Dokalax, you know, and I didn't know where Paleo Man was getting that stuff. And I knew it didn't feel really well. And yeah, I had lost some weight. But just having done that and been through that really allowed me the mental freedom, I guess, to explore something as crazy as vegan. And honestly, being able to go deeper than vegan and go to like a whole food plant-based diet and identify more with that helped me a lot because of just the 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 nomenclature because it, vegan is such an alien phrase here <laughs> and right like vegans are very rare and it's very and it's like when you get called a vegan it's like what holy shit he's a huh yeah and people kind of get thrown off <laughs> Yeah. So you, you embarked on this plant-based journey and like you had Scott Jurek as your idol and did it just keep going? Like, did you just lose like a ton of weight and just keep, kept running more and more? It, or? Right. It got, it got, so when I went, when I lost, when I finally just said all in plant-based, the weight just exploded off of me. Cause I still, I was floating back forth between still needing to lose 85 to 110 pounds. I was still in that. I wasn't really having like slam dunk progress, but man, when my mileage, when I got goal specific and I started running more regularly as my body allowed me to do that and having switched to a plant-based diet, the rest of the weight just blew off of me in the rest of 2013. And I ran my first half by the end of that year in wow. September. Self-ed, like learning about a plant-based diet and a lot of the mindset stuff around, you know, being present and then a lot of the things that Rich talks about on his, on the Rich Roll podcast that, that he, because when I started, you know, it used to take me a long time to run eight miles or 10 miles and it was about a perfect podcast length, you know, mm-hmm. or, and so I listened to a lot of those podcasts and it just really sort of helped me learn about the nutrition and about where to look, who to follow, who's Garth Davis, who's Howard Jacobson. Like it really introduced me to a lot of very important avenues to further my, you know, and deepen my self-education and the whole thing, you know. That's amazing because like the year before you ran an hour, 43 minute, 10 K. And then like by the end of the next year, you're doing half marathon. And most people, whether they're overweight or not, are not making that type of progression. So like, that's amazing. I was feeling just feeling like an athlete. I remember going to football practice and how bad football practice sucked. Football practice sucks so bad. And especially during training camp. When it was you going to two practices a day and it's hot, it's not cold yet. It's before football season actually starts and it's just miserable. And every run I ever went to, every run I ever went on until my hundred miler, probably it never sucked as bad as what football practice indelible, (laughs) like this indelible high watermark of suck in my head. It never really sucked as bad as that, you know? And so I was like, shit, this doesn't suck as bad. And so I just kept pushing and and also identifying with being that athlete. Like I felt like more of an athlete now than I ever had before. And it was rich that made me feel like it was okay to think of myself as an athlete, not as just a fat guy losing weight. That's so awesome. And that was that was a beautiful reorientation for me. 
And that's why I tweeted to him, you're the only person that made me think I could do this because it took that shift to identifying as an athlete and wanting to freaking claw forward to be able to, in that picture that I tweeted, I was breaking two hours and a half for the first time. So that September I had done it in 213. And then by the November, I wanted to break two hours and I'm finishing up in 158 and that picture. And uh, I tweeted it to him and that's when he had me on and all. And that was just, and that really sort of sealed the deal with me because he introduced me to just a wonderful community of people that is really, that have really helped me learn even more and how we can help the people around us learn, you know, it's just been a great experience so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing to watch you. Like I first heard you on the ritual podcast. I just found his podcast about a year ago, but I remember I actually listened to your episode twice and it's still my favorite episode because there's so much passion And I I remember like very specifically exactly where I was when you said this and you said something like, you can't miss me. I'm going to shine and I'm a lighthouse and I'm going to change the world. Like you can't miss me. And I just remember that gave me goosebumps and it just like, I was like, this guy is awesome. And I want, I hope I get to talk to him someday. So I want to hear more about your philosophy of being a lighthouse because everything that I have seen you do like I saw your, your little spot on ABC news where you had this like secret Facebook group and like 80 men lost like tons of weight and like you're speaking everywhere. And I, I want to get into your, your running accomplishments after that, but it's really incredible what you've been able to accomplish and the positive ripple effect that you've had in the world. Well, that means a lot. I mean, I'm just a regular guy. Like I have a job, <laughs> I work all day lots on my plate, you know? And I used to use all of those things as an excuse to be what I was. And now they're few for what I am right now. So it's like, yeah, it's overwhelming. Sometimes I'm super proud and I don't know where to put it all. Sometimes things, things happen. And, and like, just like, so like, you know, on good morning America, for instance, you know, yeah, we built this Facebook group for people who have lost weight to come together and talk about deflated man tits and like the chafing. Ch- the, the chin you mentioned, like what's the it called? Chins, the missing, missing chin. Missing chin. <laughs> Run club, right? Yeah. And so a lot of us have gotten together and it has morphed into something completely different from that, though. It has morphed into more of like an incubation for future ex-fat guys with a lot of people who have been there and done that. So the numbers get tricky with people and they start reciting or start counting up the amount of weight lost inside the group as north of 4,000 pounds. But a lot of these guys, we've all lost our weight before ever coming to the group. It's not like the group is responsible for it. I think what the group is responsible for is something even cooler than that. Everybody gets so hung up on the weight loss I think what's more important is the future weight loss of this group, right? Mm-hmm. That's where my focus is. I don't like that's yesterday's news, those stagnant numbers. Mm-hmm. That's yesterday's news. I'm over here. I'm over here. You know, I got something else I'm chasing down. Well, the great thing about that, though, is like what you said earlier was there wasn't any 420 pound guys trying to run marathons when you were doing it and you had nobody to talk to, nobody to ask. And now you can be that person for people where if they need somewhere to turn and yeah. they're just like, 
I want to do this, but I don't know how. And like my doctor's telling me I got to go on these pills. I don't want to do that. Like, what do I do? And, and like, you're the guy. <laughs> and I'm so glad to uh, be able to be moving again, actually right now. Cause it'll start, you feel like a fraud sometimes when you're injured and you're still getting all of these questions from people where people want to know your advice and you're like, why you want my advice? Look at me. I'm injured. I've been laying in bed for three months. Oh. And you know what I mean? And it's like this really strange place in this, you know, people still see where I've gotten. And, you know, I see like that I'm behind right now or that, you know, you have these. And so it gets a little tricky, but it, it feels amazing to help because that does happen. It does happen where what I'm able to talk to someone about helps something click with them, helps them see it in a different way. So some of my former experience has been able to have been paid forward in some capacity by me sharing away an outlook that I came upon that helped someone else couch something in a way that helped them move forward. That is like some of the most rewarding shit you can imagine. Like as a, you know, especially as a former fat guy, because you know how deep and dark and how that place sucks when you can give someone, there's no V key to get out of it, but when you can just at least turn them towards the door, because they think the door's in a whole different direction. They're like, nah, man, it's not. I promise you just, and if I can just get, turn their shoulders a little bit and aim them at the door, you know, they'll gravitate towards it. If they just stay with the pack, you know, and we just keep doing this thing together that matters. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about self-acceptance and self-love because that's a really difficult thing, especially like when you're on a prog, all of us are on a progress train. Like we're all working on something. We're all, it, it doesn't matter. Like all of us are working on something and it's really hard to have expectations of where you think you should be or seeing like what someone else is doing. And also feeling okay with what you've done now. So like, how have you dealt with self-acceptance and the process of that? It's been a struggle, but I'm working on it. I think I'm getting better. You know, in the very beginning, it was easy for me to, the PRs were really, really low hanging fruit as I'm losing weight and things are, and then things start to take a shift about a you know, maybe a year or so ago where I'm no longer like in fat boy fast land. <laughs> I'm in like actual running with the big boys land, trying to Boston qualify. And when you make mistakes there, it tells on you, right? Self-acceptance. This is, yes, very important to that. I'm erased like my brain around falling on my face and blowing up in a marathon that I was hoping to Boston qualify for. It's a very dark, it's a memory I'm still wrestling with, if that makes sense. I don't know. Was that the New York one? Was, no, that was in Liverpool in May. Okay. So I've been really good at, at loving myself throughout this process. But I think in this last 12 months, pushing to try to Boston qualify, I ignored a lot of stuff about myself in that process, really deeply hurt myself and have taken six months to sort of get back to where I am right now running, which is not where I was, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm back. And so that's where I'm coming in with the self-acceptance. Like self-acceptance is multifaceted. You need to be able to not lie to yourself about where we are right this minute. 
because if we really want to grow the thing, if we pretend like we're two or three weeks ahead, all we're going to do is set ourselves up for another month off with another setback. So you get no extra points for, well, that's just my makeup, man. I'm competitive. I got to go hard. And like, <laughs> no, you're not. You're not very competitive if you can't hold your water enough to get continuous, consistent training in. So I'm learning that. That's, I think, something that, and being able to accept that I made those series of mistakes and accept that, okay, this is the outcome. This is what I have right now. How have I dealt with it? What have I read about the thing? What have, who have I seen? Have I been relentless about seeing people to, to you know, and you know, about body and what went wrong and learn from this, right? And so accepting means something besides complacency. Accepting yourself means like accepting responsibility for my vessel. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to captain this ship. So it's tricky because that term, like being accepting of yourself, is very useful. Well, I need it. Everyone needs it. But it can also get really abused and misidentified as complacency. Does that make sense? No, that's exactly what I was actually trying to ask. And you actually said it better than I did because I struggle uh-huh. with the same thing of just saying, okay, well, this is like, when is it good enough? And like, when is the distance that you're running good enough? Or when is like the impact, like the people you're talking to, or like the projects you're working on? It's hard whenever you've accomplished things, because then you get addicted to that accomplishment. And or if you have a setback, when you're on the road to that accomplishment, it's hard, because you're like, no, like, I want to keep moving forward, but you have to stop and, and you have to kind of tread water for a little bit and be okay with that. It happens with injuries. It happens with sickness. And it's it's hard to do that. Right. Either you decide to do it or it's going to be decided for you. Yeah. In the form of injury or something is going to blow up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part of maturing. And I think that's a part of these whiteheaded dudes that I see at races that are 65 years old and still sinewy and killing it. Those guys aren't going ham at every 5K. And every 50K they come across, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a method to their madness. Otherwise, the longevity wouldn't be there. I know some guys like that that just do five, six hundred milers a year, but they've been doing it. I want to be like that when I grow up. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be like the next goal. Of course, I'm trying to build myself to a level right now. I have a lot of upward mobilities left, right? I feel part, feel sorry for people like you who are like, you know... <laughs> At the top, right? There's not left. There's not a whole lot of improvement to be had. I still am lucky enough to have tons of improvement, attainable improvement in my times and stuff, you know. But it is, it is definitely, it can get overwhelming. Yeah. It can get overwhelming. Yeah. And I think like the setbacks is just part of being a human. And as an athlete, it's part of your career as an athlete. It happens to everybody. And it's what you do with those setbacks and how you use that to get better and to, it teaches you to think big picture. Um, and I think that that actually being able to back off and say, okay, well this next race, like I've done some really stupid stuff. I've like raced Leadville 100 with a broken wrist. And like, I've just done the dumbest things ever because I was so focused on the micro and I've learned lessons from those to focus on the macro because really like that one race doesn't matter. It's really the big picture that matters. But even though it was the wrong thing to do, 
you needed to do it. You yep. needed it. <laughs> it needed to get done. Yep. And so that's what we tell people all the time. Like, do if you think you got a, 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 a you think you, if you think you want to try something, go and try it. I don't care if it's paleo right now or whatever it is. Stop. Get. Let's get out of the abstract with it and let's move on it. Yeah, like make let's a decision. Let's move on it and get a result. Let's get a result. You know. Yeah. And then if it's a bad result, like like Howard says that I love, let's just turn a bad day into good data. It's all it was. That's what happened. Okay. Let's be objective about it. Let's really see what happened around that thing. And thank goodness it happened because we can now adjust behave, future behavior according to it having had happened or having whatever I'm trying to say. Right? Yeah. So those things are critical. And without going and doing things that are over your head and you're just flailing about, just sticking your face in there and seeing what you can do, without doing that really ill-advised sort of irrational let me try it, even though I don't know what's going on fully yet. That's critical to getting movement anywhere, anywhere. Everybody wants to sit back and, and think about it for so long. Mm-hmm. Want to think, want to read what book? Oh, goodness. Let, give me a reading list and a meal plan and what kind of watch and then the shoes. <laughs> and Did you wear compression socks? What do you do? What kind of sunglasses? And it's like, Let's get out of the thinking about it part and let's just go and move and see what we need to adjust about the way things are right now, you know? Yeah, I think that just not doing something, sitting there and not doing something is worse than doing something and then having it not go the way you wanted because... Like you said, you need to you need to be taking action. You need to create momentum, and that motivates you to even if it fails, that motivates you to try something else, and it right. starts you on a trajectory that's going to make a difference for you. And yep. success isn't a linear path; like it's going to be. Nope. And success is, is I don't like it when people talk about success like it's a goalpost, it's an end zone because oh. it's, it's it doesn't exist. Like yeah, so you know, well, there. Yeah. I think it's important just as a, as a reminder for all of us to know that. Yeah, we, we like we want to move in a direction, but there is no finish line. No, it's a beat. It's a state. It's a that's what we are. Yeah, there's no finish line. I mean, it's about that progress orientation and living there for the rest of your life. Because when I'm 80, I might not be running. I'm, it might not be my goal to break 19 minutes in the 5K when I'm 80. But maybe finishing one might be, you know, in the realm of possibility for me, where for my grandfather, it would not have been, mm-hmm. you know. And for many people today who happen to be 80 years old, it wouldn't even be a thing. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even be possible. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. If that progress, that that sort of progress orientation, if I'm 80 and I'm still doing these things and I'm holding on to it or I'm making sure I can do five a year or whatever, whatever the, the orientation is or the specific thing is, just having that sort of constant continual progress at it is i don't know that's just a a state of being it's not like a place to finally get and then cock the the footrest on the lazy boy like (laughs) oh finally i'm here got to 190 baby yes bring on the burger king yeah that happens a lot with weight loss and even like 
with myself as a, with myself as a cyclist like it's like a delta of five pounds but you lose the weight and then you're like okay sweet now i can go back to like eating a chocolate bar every day or whatever and it's like <laughs> nope like it doesn't work that way yeah yeah <laughs> i know man i know it's something but speaking uh, of the realm of possibility i want to talk about you won a hundred mile like running race right like was that no i didn't win the hundred miler i did finish third in my hundred miler that's but awesome. I did, I did. I won. Uh, I did win a fifty-mile race in January of 2016. That's awesome. That was that was interesting. <laughs> that was really cool. Complete accident. The fast guys didn't show up that day, but I still, I'll take whatever, I mean, man. It doesn't matter. Like you were there, and that's that is like irrelevant. I gave it everything <laughs> I had. My goal was to be under ten hours. That was the goal. It's a little bit long course. It was like a 53-mile course. Just wanted to finish under 10. Actually finished like in 920-something. And, you know, wound up like passing the leader in mile 40. And um, (laughs) I was kind of of confused. I was like, was that the leader? Did I understand what they said right? No, I can't be what he said. And so I went for like four miles kind of like dismissing it going, you're delirious. You're going crazy. And uh, like my brother told me for sure on the last lap, he was like, Josh, uh, you're kicking their ass. I was like, who's that? <laughs> Everybody who signed up. That's awesome. You're in first place. I, I was like, it. and I started crying. Yeah. He's like, stop. We don't have time for this shit. <laughs> he said, he's not that far behind you. <laughs> you got one loop left. There's a four mile loop. You got one loop left. Do not let him catch you. I was like, all right. So took off on the fourth loop, like looking behind me the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and I'll finish. He, he came in. He wasn't that far behind me, but uh, yeah, that was wild. That was a while I was expecting because I, I wanted to get top five because I had looked at the results before and I was like, okay, with my P, if I can achieve my goal, I could maybe get in the top five, maybe even get on the podium compared to the times from last year. That was really my goal. So it wasn't like I was completely surprised to be in the front because that's kind of what I had trained for. But I didn't really fully expect to be first place. Yeah. You know, and that, that experience of winning your first race, like you, you never and forget my Bam that. Bam was there. Oh, that's so awesome. The only race he's, no, he went to my very first one in Destin, Florida. It was miserable for him. He hated it because it was cold and windy in Destin in February. But he came to this one and watched me because it was four mile loops and he watched me every four miles and he was, uh, he was proud. He know he knew that I had won the race, you know? And so he was crying. I was crying. It was, it was just, it's my one. It's gotta be my favorite mon- running memory of all time to have him there. And he was so proud and happy that I was like, I was the winner. And, uh, it was a special day for sure. So awesome. Somebody I never imagined all night long. I couldn't sleep. I was like, oh. I, just won, I just won. I just won a race. A 50 mile I race. Think, <laughs> I don't even think I had won a five, like a local 5K or something yet. I don't even think I had, like, I had been maybe third in one, but not. I was like, holy cow. It was wild. So, what did winning that race, like, you've been through lots of things in your life. Like, you lost, like, how many pounds total did you lose? 230 
like you lost 230 pounds. You completely transformed your life. Like you're transforming everybody around you. Like you've won crazy long running races. And that's, you know, the realm of possibility in your mind just keeps the bar keeps getting moved farther and farther into amazingness. Right. So, you know, what would you say to people who think to themselves, oh, nah, like he did that, but I can't do it. And eh. yeah, just don't, you know, cause I would have never, I would say that you're absolutely right, really. Cause I would have been the same way you would I'm so many steps removed from that. The me that started this journey, it wouldn't even register with the guy who was going to the gym and drinking his whey protein. So just because you can't fathom it doesn't mean it's not to be had. You know, what is crucial is, you know, Lady Luck sits on the shoulder of the doer, right? And so we need to get and we need to do and we need to move and don't worry about that step until it's the next one. I would have never, I never aimed at running a hundred mile race until it was time for the hundred mile race to be my goal. It was never a thing until it was a thing. So don't try to think too many steps ahead. Let's talk about where we are today and let's try to grow that with some passion and some purpose, you know? I think that that's a remarkable point and very well put. So you did the 100 mile race. I want to hear about this because you said with football practice, that was your litmus test as to how hard something was until you did the 100 mile race. Oh, God. Yeah. The 100 mile <laughs> race was brutal for me. And it got really hot, which I picked a race that I was want. I didn't want to be cold. It just felt like a, a whole other layer of logistics I didn't want to deal with. I was like, I'd rather just sweat and deal with the heat. And so that really kind of zapped me through the day because I had like a pace plan. I wanted to get, I figured the first 50 miles in about 10 hours would be a good place. And then I'm I'm sure that I'm going to finish the whole, I think it's like you, you count on the second half being about one and a half times slower than your first half. So that was, and I wanted to get in on 24. And so... But getting 10, getting close to 10 hours in that first 50 miles through the heat, because it was like got up to 104 that day uh, with the heat with the heat index. And it was super, super humid. It was miserable. And it really zapped me. And by the nighttime, and then I started because I didn't plan well. I started running. I didn't know what to do. So they would just kind of like tell but there was nothing they could do about it. And so anyway, I started to fall off pretty bad. And like I hit a bottom in like around mile 80 where I just thought I was going to have to quit. You know, mm -hmm. I, my legs were just complete. I was getting cramps on the top of my feet and every oh. toe. And, you know, my quads were locked and my hamstrings oh. were locked and my face was cramping up. <laughs> and it was, you know, midnight. And I'm like, this sucks so bad. I hate it. And my buddy Wally, he was, his, it might have been more like 85. And he's like, dude, let's just walk a lap. Let's just walk a loop. And he's like, just cry, do whatever you need to do. And I just put my hands on his shoulders and let my head hang. And I just cried. And it was pouring ass rain in by the end, just pouring down rain. And uh, it was the lowest point I think I've ever been in my life physically that was it was pretty bad for me and 
we walked the loop and then he started talking me in and let's jog for point one. Let's just jog for point one, man. And he got me out of the funk. You know, we started jogging a little bit. Next thing you know, we got, we're clicking continuous miles again. And by mile 90, 95, I'm fully running, like trying to get to the finish line, you know, and was able to finish strong and still get in under 24. Actually was able to get under under 23, which was nice, awesome. Yeah, it was a little bit extra. And so it was brutal. And then the whole, like, call it the buckle shuffle after you finish a hundred mile and you get your buckle and it's like, you just come, your body just completely seizes up. It's like, I was running five seconds ago and now I can't pick, I couldn't pick a dime up off of the floor if I needed to. <laughs> I can and, relate. Uh, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was an athlete five minutes ago and now I'm crippled. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was quite an experience in the, the, you know, the, the next uh, few days after that. But I think I was running again, like by the next uh, Thursday or so I was jogging around again, you know, so it hurt. That hurt. It was rough. Yeah. But uh, the hurt makes it even more memorable and important. It makes it you know, mean something. Yeah, it is. Oh, shit. It meant it. <laughs> You'll definitely remember it. That's for sure. It definitely will be remembered. And maybe, we're, maybe we're just like two sick people in the head. We're like, yeah, like when it hurts, it means something. We That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it feels good to have gotten through that. It feels good to stop. You know, and, <laughs> and then you get there and you're like, wow. But yeah, it was, that was really cool. I actually came in like 45 seconds behind second place in that race, which was 45 seconds, a, which was 23 second hours. place. <laughs> second place was this guy who traveled from Tokyo and he was like, I think 62. Whoa. Something like that. That's amazing. This white haired Japanese guy who just killed it all night long like a beast it was like geez who is this man that's amazing <laughs> and um but yeah it was great man it was really cool it was really cool it was a great experience but i'll do another one i want to do one in the mountains next but i still have marathon aspirations i still have things i want to accomplish in road marathoning i just feel like i just do yeah you know? boston's still on your list Boston, so I didn't even want to say it. Yeah, but Boston, <laughs> I'll say it for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like a dirty word. I feel, I still, it's still sour. It really hurt my heart. It really did. Well, the great thing is that there's always other opportunities to go for that goal, and it's going to mean even more to you whenever you're there. Yeah, right now my main focus is <laughs> I'm running the Crescent City Classic again this year. Obviously, That's... I was able to break 40 minutes last year for the first time. That's I was huge. Able to yeah, it was a huge one for me. So I ran 39.55 last year. This year, I just would like to run fast enough to get my poster this year. I've been getting a poster every year since my third year, and which means just top 500 finish. So you get a, a like a commemorative poster. And I just want to run fast enough to do that, which I think sub 45 would be good. And uh, I'm going to run my first 50K in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to Mount Chiha. I'm going to run the Chiha 50K with my buddy Wally just as a like a reintroduction to the time on my feet. I'm not racing this thing. I'm just going and spend some time in the mountains with a buddy and get my marathon. I mean, my ultra marathon legs back a little bit. That spending several hours on your feet, you know, on a trail. 
Yeah. So. And I think that's refreshing for the mind too. like yeah. going out without any major expectations with your friends. And I think it's super important to stay mentally fresh as an endurance athlete and to focus on the fun. Yes. Yes. Cause there's so much of it. There's <laughs> so much fun. There's so much fun on these long runs. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's awesome. I love it. I love the ultra marathon community. They are wild. It's a great group of individuals. If you ever want to get inspired, go hang out at a hundred mile race and just throw yourself into the service of the runners and the people at the aid station. Just you really meet some solid gold human beings. I have to say it's fun to be a part of, I have to say. Well, I just have one more question for you that I wanted yeah, to ask earlier course. before we wrap it up. So you were going through this transformation in your life, like going plant-based and losing weight and becoming like quite an amazing athlete. And meanwhile, your family who you spent all this time with growing up, they, they know they knew you a certain way, their lives changed too, as an, a reason and as an effect of being close to you. So can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. They thought I was crazy at first, right? <laughs> so, cause my brother had been witnessing my, you know, cause I had been losing weight for about a year before that. Right. So mm -hmm. I had come to my brother with all kind of other like cockamamie schemes about weight loss and nutrition. Wait, what, what is that? <laughs> like just half cock schemes, like these, like kind of just harebrained. I was bringing all of this, like, uh, nutritional wisdom that I was learning through whether it was body by science or wheat belly or the latest uh, low carb thing I had heard about video. And as I'm learning, I'm telling my brother, like, like Dustin, you know, I'm starting to see like there's some common things and then there's some things that people kind of disagree on. And I'm just trying to focus on what everyone is agreeing on. Like, I was like, so just take these individual accounts sort of with a grain of salt because I don't know how I feel about them either. I'm just trying to help share what I'm learning. And then when I go to him and I said, hey, I'm going to do no meat for 30 days instead of meat. I was like, you know, I don't think I think instead of meat being the solution, I think meat's the problem because we were doing it like meat's the solution. Get rid of carbs. We got all the pits and stuff. This would be super convenient that, you know, we just eat a lot more meat. Boom. That's done. We can do that. And so when I went to him, I said, I think meat is the problem. He said, what happened to that grain of salt? We're supposed to be taking all this information with. He's like, I can't believe you can just, I was like, just give me 30 days. I'm going I'm to do it. Nobody else has to do it. And I did. And it was like, no looking back. You know, it was no looking back. And within the next three months, he was on board. And then within the next six months or so, my mom was on board. And my little sister was the last one. She got on board. My brother, you know, talked to her. She's like, he's like, Cassie, this is like, it's really the easiest way I've ever lost weight in my life. We just adjusted what we eat, not how much we eat. Not, like we just adjusted what we eat. It's not really that difficult. It doesn't suck. And uh, my sister got on board my, because my mom fed my Bam Bam because mom was living with Bam Bam by this point. Bam Bam had gotten to the point where someone needed to be with him 24 hours a day. So mom's living there and she's cooking. So he's eating what she's cooking, which is all plant-based. Mm -hmm. And he's not complaining at all. He loves mashed potatoes and bananas and fruit salad and oatmeal. It was no problems. He never missed the meat or anything. Now he had, he was, you know, 
he had dementia, so it's not like he can remember and go and call for it. You know what I really got a craving for? Piece of feeling. Like he, he, so that wasn't a thing. So that worked ironically in our advantage, actually, mm-hmm. to help him get healthier physically. But just changing what he ate, you know, he lost 180, 190 pounds. Wow. Uh, in his early 80s. Wow. And his cardiologist took him off of all of his his cholesterol meds, his blood pressure meds, everything. I mean, it was like he had gone backwards in time with his heart and his cardiovascular system. But, you know, the microvascularity in the brain, once that stuff is, once the brain is compromised, once that horse is out the barn, like you're not reversing that. It's over with, right? And so having, living with that realization that we're fixing him, he's getting lighter, he can move, he can walk, he doesn't have to use a wheelchair anymore. Those things are all great. So physically he's getting healthier, but we know at the same time, it's irreversible what's happening to him in his brain. And we knew that there was no going to be no like miracle story of Bam Bam, you know, turning it around and starting to remember things. And so that just became a real sad thing. It's like what people don't understand is that is a result of cardiovascular disease. That is not a brain disease that he caught. Yeah, dementia right. is not genetic. Right. It's, it's because of what you're eating. Right. And it's yeah. that microvascularity that feeds all of that brain tissue, those tiny little vessels. That's the first things to go. That's the very first things to go when we eat the way we eat, the way and we ate my family especially. And so people ask me all the time, like, how do I avoid the food? That's how I avoid the food. I'm woke. I understand the food's role in what I witnessed my Bam Bam go through and me having to clean him after he messed the bed or me having to shower him or me having to remind him which way to his bedroom or fight and argue with him over taking a shower. You know, all of these very, very sad things. I know the food's connection to those very dark and sad, sad, gut-wrenching moments with my Bam Bam. So maybe I'm lucky that I had that experience because the food is minuscule by comparison for me. Yeah, that's a really positive way of looking at it and a really impactful way of looking at it too because I think with our diets, a lot of times people think, oh, well, that's not going to happen to me. Or they think, oh, well, I'll just wait for something bad to happen before I make a change. Yeah, and the sad part is, is you can kind short of the widowmaker heart attack, you can kind of do that with a plant. You can kind of do, you can kind of get away with it. Mm-hmm. Look at all of the people with type 2 diabetes and people that waited till something went bad and are able to reverse it. So maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to wait around until your disease state is to a point to where it's time to make a change. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's what the person needs because that's it's so much easier to talk to somebody like who needs to lose a bunch of weight because they're motivated, even mm-hmm. though they, it's tricky to get traction on it. They nobody likes being fat. Nobody does. But there's tons of people who are not fat, who have no idea what they're doing in their cardiovascular system and don't pay attention and feel nutritionally superior to everyone around them because they're not fat. Yeah, just because you have a six-pack doesn't mean that you're healthy. Right. <laughs> That's not a calling card. Just because my six-pack looks like a plate of mashed potatoes and yours looks like, you know, 
a Greek god, it doesn't mean you know more about nutrition than me, player. That's right. You can still have very high cholesterol and very high blood pressure and be very unhealthy. That's not proof of anything to me. That's not proof of anything to me. So it, the, the knowledge is out there. It's very simple for people to, to, I would rather just point for smarter people than me to actually do the explaining. Yeah. But it's, sometimes it's nice for, for me to just share away the prism through which I've seen. Yeah, how it's affected through, your you know? life and, yeah. in so many ways, like in many mm-hmm. ways. And yeah, I think leading by example is the best way to inspire people like you with Scott Jurek, for example, or Rich or Ritual. Yeah. Like these people are living their truth and they're they're leading by example yep. and they've positively and, and you are too. And it's like positively affecting they, lots of look, people. It, there's no way to overestimate how big of a role Rich Roll and like Rip Esselstyn and Josh Lajani and Scott <laughs> Jurek has played in my life to be yeah. for me to go not only athletic plant-based athletic but how are they how do they behave in the world yeah how do they behave in the world i met scott jurek one time and he was just the most humble and soft-spoken endearing human and i'm like whoa you're supposed to be a superstar man and it's it jars you like when you when they just are so regular and genuine same thing with rich and same thing with rip same thing I know other people who are professional athletes or whatever. It's the same thing. You think about them in one way and then you realize, oh, man. They're just a human. Dude, just like me. (laughs) Yeah. And for a dude, if you're just a dude without the athletic component at the point, at that point, you realize, oh, he's a dude just like me. He got that athletic component. I could get my version, too. Because we're both just dudes. Oh. And just, that helps. It's so empowering. Yeah, it helps. And so, yeah, anytime I can take myself down off of some perceived pedestal by other fat guys or people getting started or whatever, I really try to take the opportunity to do just a regular free. Yeah, so you're saying that you you want people to see you as a regular guy and not put you on a pedestal either. Yeah, right. Because just and Rich has made Rich has alluded to that a lot in his podcast. Like, if I'm up here, I'm not able to help. Like, if I'm way up here, I'm not pulling you towards me. If I'm way up here in your mind, I don't want to be there. I want to be just right here with you, close enough to touch you, hold your hand, and be your friend. Because that, that makes me leery. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it feels special when people say awesome things about me. But it still makes me very leery because I'm just a regular person, you know? Yeah, and I also think that, like, with idolizing people and with people who are leaders, the vulnerability aspect is really important to tell people. Like, Rich has done a great job talking about his story and repeatedly talking about how he's a human being and he's flawed just like everybody else. But... You know, sometimes people are afraid to show those flaws and they're afraid to show those vulnerabilities because they're afraid that people will no longer look up to them and think that they're good enough. But it's really by showing those flaws and those vulnerabilities that you are a human being and you're still able to move forward in your life. That's what people connect with. Exactly. that. I took that nugget from one of Richie's podcasts with Julie, where it was, you know, it's just something that you feel even remotely ashamed about, drag it out and get some sunshine on it. Like, like, put shed light on the thing 
And there was lots of things in my life after the rich roll thing that I sort of didn't really talk about openly that I began to. And I think it freed me a lot. I think, you know, that vulnerability, there's power. There's a lot of like connective power in being vulnerable and understand, like, I know that I say some things and I do some things that are going to be fodder for water cooler jokes at random workplaces around Thibodeau, Louisiana, or some other place where a plant-based diet is scoffed at and laughed upon regularly. But, you know, I get that. And so I'm willing to surrender to that fact or in the net something better, I think, if something worse having thrown myself into that situation to be vulnerable and having done that, I think connects you to people who see that in a real way. And it's like, Oh, like he's willing to, it, it, that just matters. I think vulnerable being willing, willing, being willing to be vulnerable really helps people trust you. And I think that that matters tremendously when you're part of a movement and a message that people really need to listen to. Yeah, and I also think as part of a personal journey, we were talking about self-acceptance before, and it's scary to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there and just to show people like, look, this is who I really am. And when you find out that people still like you, even when you show that, oh, I'm not perfect, I'm not gonna put filters on who I am, and people still like you, I think that that really helps with self-acceptance. Yeah, yeah. It's self-acceptance and... I have really, whether I accept like different race outcomes or whatever, or how that's one thing, but I've really become friends with myself in a way that I never have been in my entire life. And it comes from just like Ron's this morning where it's 18 solo, super, super, super slow on purpose per the coach, Mm -hmm. 10 miles gruelingly slow, and then push for eight. And going and executing that and worrying about form and being accountable to myself. I know if I didn't get my mileage, I know if I didn't do the thing, right? Nobody was around. Nobody came and ran with me. Nobody was waiting for me to get up. And, you know, it was you just really build a respect for yourself. Yeah, like personal integrity. Right. And I believe what I say. That matters. It matters to believe what you say. Awesome. Well, I think this is a great place to wrap it up. I could talk to you all day because I I love this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. too. Well, thanks. I I just want to say thank you for being that lighthouse, for making a big difference in the world, for speaking your truth, for being vulnerable, for being an example and somebody that's approachable for everybody to talk to. And it just, I'm really glad that I got to meet you and I got to talk to you and I'm excited to just watch, watch you keep shining. Thank you so very much. I'm honored to be on and thank you for the invitation and all of the very wonderful and really kind words. It was a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, that was really good. Wow. 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 Josh is such an amazing guy. And what a story from not exercising at all, being 420 pounds to running a 10K in an hour and 43 minutes to winning a 50 mile running race to coming on the podium at a hundred mile running race. 
I personally can't imagine running 100 miles or going through all of the amazing life steps that Josh has gone through. There's no reason for us to not make changes in our lives. We have no excuses. Look what Josh has done. I really liked it whenever he talked about how people tend to ruminate and talk themselves around in circles and it paralyzes them from even getting started on something. And just taking action is the most important step. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if you fail. It's the moving forward that matters. And I felt really good after I heard that. And there's a lot of projects that I'm working on right now that I tend to overanalyze and it just really helped me get some clarity on that. If you guys are interested in the plant-based lifestyle, I'm inviting you to join the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. It's free, you don't have to be a vegan. All you have to do is be interested in how to live a healthy life and how to add in more fruits, vegetables, and legumes into your diet. It's a great space, it's a community page, so it's not just me posting. It's a conversation where a lot of people are talking about what they're doing, what recipes they're making, the challenges that they're having, and just some cool things that they've come across. So join almost a thousand people. It's amazing how big it's gotten, and we'll see you there. Guess where I am right now? I'm in Spain doing the Andalusia stage race. That's right, it's a six day mountain bike stage race in Southern Spain. And I'm excited to tell you guys all about it. And I'm going to Portugal after the race. I've never been to Portugal before. I hardly ever take vacations, like a true vacation. Although maybe it seems like my entire life is a vacation, but I'm going to meet my best friend, Rachel, and we're gonna go hang out in Lisbon and take in the sights and even brainstorm some cool ideas on the horizon. Big thank you to all of my people on Patreon who are contributing to my work financially. It really helps with the growth of the show and I just want to say thanks. If you're confused what Patreon is, go to my website, sonyalooney.com slash podcasts and there is an image that says Patreon. You can click that through and it will take you to the website so you can see exactly what it is. Big thank you to our podcast sponsor today, Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for athletes and health conscious people like us. You know how all of us endurance athletes have low resting heart rates? Most carriers penalize people if their heart rate is too low because they think there might be something wrong, but not for athletes. Isn't that crazy? Health IQ helps them recognize that this is a sign of excellent health and fitness. And I know we all brag about how low our resting heart rate is. I've done it before. So if you want to save up to 33% on your life insurance, go to healthiq.com slash Sonia or mention the promo code Sonia when you talk to a Health IQ agent. All right, guys, that's it. That wraps it up for this episode. Thank you again for being here with me and for sharing your time and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.